Hi, everybody. Welcome to Spotlights. This is the podcast for the Yale Forum on Religion and Ecology. I'm your host, Sam Mickey. And this week on the show, I'm really happy to welcome Sandy Bigtree. Sandy. Hello. Nice to meet you, Sam. Uh, you know, for those who don't already know you, um, you're a citizen of the Mohawk Nation at Agwesasne. Correct. You're a founding board member of the Indigenous Values Initiative. That's right. Uh, a nonprofit that fosters collaborative educational work between the academic community and the Haudenosaunee uh, to promote the message of peace uh, that to was brought to Onondaga Lake thousands of years ago, right? The same message of peace that has been influential for the foundation of American democracy, the women's rights movement, the environmental justice movement. Mm -hmm. uh, so really amazing work, really inspiring. So uh, welcome to the show. Thank First you. and foremost, I got to hear, how did you get into this work? It seems like it's really been part of your whole life. Well, well, it has. Uh, I guess I would have to go back to actually my grandfather if we're going to start at the beginning. He was um, taken away from his home when he was a kid and put in Thomas Indian Boarding School. And um, he was deemed an orphan, but that was not the case. His mom was taking care of him and his siblings, and his dad was working on the railroad out west, sending money home to support the family. But nevertheless, they took him away from home and put him in the boarding school. So my great-grandpa got him right out of the school and put him on a ship to England where he performed for the Buffalo Bill Wild West show. And so that, that starts the legacy of um, performing in my family. It goes back to that. And it was really a matter of survival during a very um, critical time. Um, and my grandfather, grandfather stayed there throughout his teens when he was no longer eligible to be taken away to go to school anymore. So um, but they, they moved off the territory later when my um, father was a teenager and they came to Syracuse. So I grew up in the city. I'm an urban Indian um, Mohawk living in Onondaga territory. Um, my, my family continued that tradition of performing and my two older sisters had a, a duo act that was on early television in this, this area. I joined them when I was a year old. And they were like seven and nine years older than I was. So I was more of a prop at that stage. So I grew up every week on television and radio throughout my entire childhood in Syracuse, New York. So I had a, a quite um, a presence here. Everybody knew who I was for sure. And um, it, was, it was an isolated kind of upbringing because we were working full time as kids. Um, my sisters moved away because they were considerably older and I eventually had my own band and I was you know, approached by the Ondaga Nation in 1978 um, and asked if I could help them open the doors and bring non-native people to the territory so they could begin to learn about the contributions of the Haudenosaunee to the American identity everybody enjoys. And um, I was not aware of a lot of this background. So I um, kind of dove into learning as much as I could. I started um, making much more frequent trips back to Akwesasne. And um, I was visiting Longhouse and I moved to Boulder, Colorado. I, I worked for American Indians in the theater in New York City. We performed at La Mama. I um, moved to Boulder, Colorado, worked for them. 
Native American Rights Fund, where I met my husband, Phil, who was um, getting his degree in Indigenous religions at the University of Colorado in Boulder. So we married and spent a year in um, England and then the University of Chicago. And then a job presented itself in Syracuse at the same time we were going to have twins. So um, certainly wanted to bring the boys up in Haudenosaunee territory um, near the Onondaga Nation because of their long um, tradition. They've maintained this ancient tradition that um, seemed to have been um, infiltrated everywhere else in this country by the Bureau of Indian Affairs, but the Onondaga Nation managed to retain their pre-colonial clan um, system of governance. And so I wanted our children to be sure they knew this Indian legacy and who they really were. And um, so we just got um, involved, you know, in issues here. Phil got the job. He's now chair um, of religion at the university and uh, Syracuse University. And we're constantly pushing to get this message out to the world because uh, it just hasn't been taught, not even in public schools right here in Onondaga County, you know. So um, we had the opportunity when, um, well, we had this French fort here in Syracuse. I grew up with it. My dad took me there once. And um, you could get, you know, turkey feather headdresses, um, rubber tomahawks and tom-toms and could climb up on the fort and imagine shooting at Indians, which my dad had me reenact when I was like four. He said, climb up there, look out the window. That's where they deemed their guns to shoot at us. So there was always this dark cloud over the French fort. I didn't really understand the full history until we got involved in repurposing this um, atrocity. Um, Along with the atrocity came a false narrative of what actually happened here in Nondaga territory. Um, The French fort was actually, the replica was built in 1933, right during the rise of fascism in this country. And we're all learning more and more how, what a foothold, stronghold it actually did have in this country. And there's still lingering effects from that. Um, So the French fort was put up in 1933 and it was um, a 19th century fort rather than the 17th century fort, it was memorializing. Um, And the reason they built a 19th century fort, so they could perpetrate this cowboy and Indian theme that I mentioned with the Hetsuan headdresses, tomahawks, and, um, you know, all that. So it was an embarrassment, you know, having that, telling the wrong side of our story. So um, I guess in 1971, the Historical Association here in Syracuse was embarrassed as well because they're the ones who raised the funds to put it up in 1933. So they tore it down and they built a new fort and it was more authentically uh, 17th century, but they still promoted the uh, Jesuit narrative of conquest, Christianization of uh, the Onondaga. And um, when in fact that fort was only here for less than 20 months in 1656 and the Onondaga coerced them to leave. And from that time forward, there had never been a Catholic church in Onondaga territory. Wow. So something very dark went down. 
On the other hand, up at Aquasasne, it's a very strong Catholic presence up there because mm. the Jesuits really um, anchored, anchored in. In fact, my family um, was the one responsible to hold the first Methodist meetings just to bring in another <laughs> side of Christianity there to counteract. Interesting. The Catholics, you know, um, Longhouse had to go kind of underground because you were punished, of course, if you were caught practicing any of those um, ceremonies. So it's a really complicated life. Um, Ironically enough, the person that approached our family up at Akwesasne to hold that first Methodist meeting was also a founder of Syracuse University. Hmm. Syracuse University was originally a Methodist uh, university. Uh-huh. And the man's name is Ebenezer Arnold. So he is a distant relative, actually, of my husband. Wow. Philip Arnold. That's so, um, yeah, it gives you chills when your life's these kind of things come together and mm. um, you're not looking for them. They're just kind of in front of you. It's like, yeah, I'm yeah. on the right track. <laughs> yeah, right. That's remarkable to have that kind mm-hmm. of shared history. People talk about soulmates sometimes, <laughs> that kind yeah. of entangled history. And so, so it's such a messy history, too. Oh, um, yes. And a great example of you know, religion and culture, environmental issues kind of all intersecting. Uh, and when did you uh, found the Indigenous Values Initiative? Early on in this repurposing of the French Fort, um, the local historical association had asked Phil to form an academic collaborative. And um, so Phil had been working on this already. So he knew exactly who to invite onto this um, committee who were knowledgeable enough about the Haudenosaunee to give um, credence and support to the Onondaga Nation who ultimately were put in the position to vet anything that we did at the center. But, um, you know, the Historical Association raised the funds and then determined how they'd be spent. And we were not really involved. The collaborative was not as involved as we had understood we would be. So we formed Indigenous Values Initiative so that without raising the money and the funds, it would go directly to promoting this message of the Haudenosaunee. And um, we could control it and get more done. And we're still kind of balancing all of that out um, even now because um, this is a stronghold here. I mean, this is the core of all the indigenous um, people on this in this um, continent, really, because they've maintained that pre-colonial relationship um, to governance and, you know, the women's empowerment and lineage and, you know, um, environmental, well, right down to your identity as a Haudenosaunee person, the name is given to you by your clan mother. And you're the only one that has that name in your clan while you're alive. And then you return that name to this basket for the next person after you've passed on. So that is a lineage of a name that only you share with your ancestors. And the natural world, you are introduced to the natural world because the name is so long, uh, so old. Um, the, the language comes from the earth. You know, it's still such an archaic, ancient language that the earth still remembers these sounds and they remember these names. So it's always um, your identity is embedded 
in this proper relationship to the natural world. Scano is called Scano because it really translates, thank you for being well. Hmm. And that's with the understanding that wellness can never be obtained unless you're in this proper relationship to the natural world. So all the ceremonies are about acknowledging the natural world, having gratitude to the natural world. We don't pray. We don't ask for anything. It's all, um, every ceremony is that way. The way uh, meetings are conducted, it's mm. the same thing. There's an, a Thanksgiving address before you begin any meeting uh, where you have to make decisions. And it's a long land acknowledgement to the, the mm. birds, um, the fish, the trees, the waters, the sky, moon, sun, um, stars. And sometimes that alone, that acknowledgement can go on for days, depending wow. on the severity of the issue. Mm. So, um it's still taken extremely seriously at Onondaga. They're the center, the fire keepers of the whole Confederacy and this whole lineage of an American identity. It's really kind of rooted there. They're the fire keepers. And, um, and this, this Confederacy came together at Onondaga Lake, which was a, a healing lake. It had several natural springs there were salt springs, sulfur springs, freshwater springs, and even chlorine a natural chlorine spring, which I, oh. I couldn't even believe it existed, but yeah. it's so rare. Interesting. And um, of course, they've all been destroyed. Um, they, they mine the lake for salt. Mm -hmm. And that's why Syracuse is known as the Salt City, because it became such a focus of um, an industrialized lake, that this lake is now the most chemically polluted lake in the Americas. And they, uh, this is where the the base, the root of American democracy was born. So it's such a vortex of a, a place, a material, a material sacred place, and what's evolved from these two collisions of cultures. Um, yeah. It's important just to address that. Yeah, it's just such a heartbreaking story, you know, the kind of the loss of culture and language and also the destruction of the earth uh, and yet so, so much resilience. And mm -hmm. uh, so it's, you know, both of those at the same time, I'm also really uh, amazed at how central uh, giving thanks is for democracy. Cause certainly when we think, you know, American democracy, it's not mm -hmm. so much about gratitude and reciprocity with the earth. Oh, and maybe yeah. that's, you know, one of the things that would really, uh, help make American democracy function properly. Uh, there's, you know, and to think that, you know, there's a lot of prayer in Christianity in the sense of like asking for things, prayers of petition, uh, mm -hmm. but the, the gratitude, not so much. And there's such right. a big difference between asking versus giving thanks. Yeah, there certainly is profound. Yeah, that's really and beautiful. To the earth, you know, yeah. that gratitude is right here. You know, it's not extraneous. Um, some imagined utopia <laughs> and then the and the worse the problem is that the community is engaging the more gratitude comes out the longer the land acknowledgement mm -hmm. really interesting that's remarkable mm -hmm. i appreciate that in a situation of emergency they're like hold on we need to take our time and give thanks first this that's is a right. really big problem so we can't rush in normally that's it's right. like oh don't just talk about stuff do something and they're like hold on before we right. act and decide 
let's show our gratitude and remember our connections, our relationships. Right. And we're not in charge of the world. There's yeah. so much knowledge yet to learn from all the living beings about regeneration. We don't use that word much in our language. We talk about sustainability or, you know, but regeneration, that's really what it's all about. Regenerating life and connecting to that life force. Yeah. Um, yeah. Means- when I hear sustainability, a lot of them like sustain, like if you're playing piano and you hold down the sustain pedal, it's just <laughs> echoes and cacophony pretty soon. I'm like, that doesn't sound very musical. Right. Whereas regeneration is this kind of cycle of birth and death and things mm-hmm. come back. And uh, yeah, I really, I appreciate that. And the idea that we're not in charge seems to be a powerful lesson because yeah. um, that's such a dominant idea in uh, modern societies. Like, no, humans know what we're doing. Like, no, I don't, uh, ask I don't the think experts. we <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Which always. I'm not condemning, you know. I mean, yeah. people work hard to learn what they do, but there are also experts in the tree, you know. There's experts in, you know, the rabbits or the ants. I mean, there's knowledge or something to learn yeah. from all these life forces that are creating this world we live in and share. Yeah, and I think even when I do have a good idea, it's still because I'm being nourished by the land and because I'm breathing, because I have water. And, you know, so even a great expert still so dependent upon these relationships with the larger natural world. Right. Seems obvious. <laughs> and, and yet, so, I mean, one of the questions I, I have is, is how do we get you know, more people to recognize this and practice this, including folks like myself who don't have, you know, an indigenous background. Uh, and you do, do if you go back far enough. That's a good point. Well, and so how, how do you feel about, because I don't want to then claim indigenous heritage because it seems no. kind of problematic, but how can I uh, learn those ways or represent these kind of things as a teacher? How could I bring them into the classroom without cultural appropriation or overly identifying collaboration bring speakers in let them talk and um, give them a platform you know to speak and then look at your own side your government see how it's impeding native people indigenous people from being who they are there's a lot of work to be done and there's a lot to learn from indigenous people but the work, it's not about appropriating what they do, but it's about getting out of their way, you know, mm-hmm. looking at the impediment to living on this earth healthy. Collaborate and get out of the way. I think that's pretty good advice and a pretty good place to stop for now. Take a little bit of a break and uh, we'll be back next week with the uh, second half of this discussion with Sandy Bigtree. So in the meantime, take care and be well.